From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Don't touch that dial. You're tuned in to the Dread Podcast Network. Welcome to Development Hell. For every horror movie that hits VOD, countless others end up DOA. Development Hell is the podcast dedicated to unearthing these cursed horror productions. We're going to find out what went wrong and then decide if these titles still stand a shot at the green light. I am your host, Josh Corngut. I am a filmmaker in Toronto, Canada. This podcast is a proud member of the Dread Podcast Network. And we're going. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Development Hell. Today is the first episode of our brand new miniseries, Christmas is Cancelled. We're going to be covering the secret histories and alternate realities behind some of the most iconic Christmas horror movies. Today, we are covering our very first of our four-episode arc, and we're digging up everything Black Christmas. Our co-host for Christmas is Cancelled, all four episodes, is going to be Jinx. Welcome back to the podcast, Jinx. How's it going? Josh, how are you? Thank you very much (laughs) for having me back. Sure, everyone knows you by now. But for the new people, how would you introduce yourself? Who are you? What's your whole deal? 
Oh gosh, I am uh, I'm a writer and podcaster. You can find my stuff at Bloody Disgusting, where I have a few different columns that uh, have been on ice recently, but I am hoping to resurrect them soon. I write uh, Phantom Limbs about unmade horror sequels and remakes. I write Larval Inc. about uh, early versions of produced movies. Um, what the hell else do I write? I write a comic book column called Blood, Ink, and Staples. And I write something called uh, Mask of Insanity, which is all about delving into fun stories behind the makings of some slashers or monsters or this and that. I only have a handful of those up, but uh, I've, I've had a lot of fun with them. And then besides that, I uh, host a podcast called Scream Addicts, which is currently in the midst of a uh, side project called Hammer Pub. Basically, have a few drinks and we, uh, we provide a running commentary for a Hammer horror movie, uh, the likes of which used to star Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing and what. But no, I'm happy to be here. Well, I'm so happy to finally, you know, have you as a co-host. I feel like we find... Yeah, yeah, yeah. For this, Christmas is canceled. You heard it here, guys. Jinx is co-host. He is bringing this to you every week, and we are thrilled. We have finally human traffic Jinx to development hell for at least four (laughs) weeks, and we couldn't be happier about it. As I mentioned... Today, we are covering Black Christmas. Now, usually in Development Hell, we're covering things that have not seen the light of day. But for this detour that we're taking into Christmas is Cancelled, we're digging into secret histories, alternate realities, unproduced scripts, all the fun stuff surrounding all of our favorite Christmas horror movies. And I'm wondering, Jinx, what's your general relationship with Black Christmas? Oh, Black Christmas. I adore Black Christmas, the 1974 film. It's funny, I discovered the first movie uh, back <laughs> back in the 90s when I was growing up, a burgeoning horror fan. I was in love with Fangoria. You know, I was I was the kid who would pester my local book stand. Uh, it was Tim's News and Novelties in Ironton, Ohio, ages ago. Uh, I would call every Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday and ask when the newest issue would be in. And for issue 159, which uh, which Josh and I have been hunting for recently, and we can fill listeners in on that if you want, Josh. Um, but back in the day when I picked up issue 159, it had a Mars Attacks cover, I think it was a Christmas issue. In addition to covering all of the newer films that were coming out, much like all the previous fangos that I picked up uh, up until that point, that particular issue provided retrospectives on these two Christmas movies leading into the holiday season. And one was Christmas Evil, which is an amazing movie and is easily the second best Christmas horror movie ever. <laughs> and uh, it also provided a retrospective for Black Christmas, which was a movie that I'd never heard of. And then all of a sudden, you know, this is right around the time that Scream was coming out. I had just sort of dove headfirst into the Halloween series and various slashers to sort of uh, bone up on my slasher knowledge as an up and coming horror fan. And then all of a sudden, I'm discovering that there's this movie that was kind of a proto-slasher that predated Halloween, but still kind of did all of the same stuff. And uh, after reading it, I uh, I immediately consulted the latest Movies Unlimited catalog uh, for listeners out there. If I can, I, if we can all cast back to the '90s before there was, uh, you know, the internet or streaming options when you actually had to work to watch movies that weren't readily available at your local mom and pop video store. 
uh, I used this company called Movies Unlimited that would provide catalogs. And I would basically just mostly look at the catalog and wish that I could watch every movie that was in there. But every great once in a while, I would save up a little bit of money and I would send off for a VHS. And after reading that retrospective, I knew that I needed Black Christmas in my life. Mm -hmm. And so I bought it and I got to watch it before Christmas that year. And I absolutely adored it. It scared the living hell out of me, um, made me think, uh, which is uh, not easy to do. And um, it, it it just, it was utterly indelible. And it has remained one of my favorite horror movies, one of my favorite slasher movies. I, I think it still holds up to this day. And um, I just, I absolutely adore it. I can't blame you for that, Jinx. It is very, very classic. I don't know why we have to pit our female artists against each other, but I always <laughs> wonder, you know, what do I like more? Black Christmas or Halloween? And I do oscillate between the two. I think sometimes I do it because I like to scandalize people into telling them that I like something more than Halloween. <laughs> um, you know what? But I have to say, like, Taylor Swift and Beyonce, like, we don't have to pit them against each other. They're two incredible artists and they bring very important pop to our community. Uh, Black Christmas is incredible. I, I saw it very young, I think early into my horror career. And I don't think I was expecting it to be as scary as it was. Uh, I am a Toronto native and I'm also obsessed with how this movie just shows Toronto off at her most beautiful. And I am an alumni of the University of Toronto and U of T is just splattered all over this movie, very urban legend style. So it really itches all of that for me. And I'm excited for us to get a little bit into that. Um, Jinx, I know you know all this already, but some people at home maybe don't, maybe want a refresher. Would you allow me to give a bit of a seminar on the original Black Christmas? Please, please do. So Black Christmas, uh, originally titled Silent Night, Evil Night, incredible, uh, 1974 Canadian horror film directed by Bob Clark, written by A. Roy Moore. So the general setup of this film is we've got a house of sorority sisters who are receiving lewd and bizarre threatening phone calls. There are some murders in the neighborhood, like a 13-year-old girl is found dead in a park. And eventually a deranged stalker uh, emerges from the attic in the sorority house, kills a bunch of people. And that's the setup of the film. So it was made for around 620,000 bucks and raked in $4 million, which I'm assuming was like, 10 billion dollars in 1974 this it was like little, titanic yeah, money I it think. must have been it's ginormous it had two remakes one in 2006 one in 2019 this movie is kind of based on the, the babysitter and the man upstairs urban legend and this urban legend which we're all familiar with with the babysitter and she gets a phone call and there's a man inside the house and he's saying you know, the children check on the children and then she dies and there's a clown sometimes We're all familiar with it. Black Christmas is also one of the first horror movies to use the POV from The Killer, which is unpopularized by Halloween and Friday the 13th. It's an incredible movie. Oh, Black Christmas. Absolutely. This movie, much like, you know, we can talk at length about the... uh, the pros and cons of the 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 following Black Christmases later, if yeah. you'd like, yeah, uh, yeah. because I think Definitely. that would be a lot of fun. But oh, um, we're getting there. You know, the 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 one thing that sort of uh, unites them all is the fact that they each have kind of an impressive pedigree. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, this movie does with Bob Bob Clark having directed it. Can you tell us just like quickly, like who is Bob Clark? What's this guy's deal? 
Yes, absolutely. Bob Clark is a guy that you might know for making some of your favorite movies. Yeah. Uh, but what's crazy about him is that he never <laughs> pigeonholed himself to one specific genre. He is known for Black Christmas, sure, but he also made a Sherlock Holmes movie called Murder by Decree that also features Jack the Ripper, and the movie is incredible. <gasps> cool. In addition to that, he also made another great Christmas movie called A Christmas Story. Damn. That's right. The 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 Red Rider, the you'll shoot your eye out kid, the leg lamp. That's the all the leg him. lamp. Which uh, you know what? The leg lamp definitely has Black Christmas vibes a little bit. Now 100%. That I, like it should have been incredible. You know, it should have been like the Oculus mirror that Flanagan uses all the time. Like that damn <laughs> leg lamp. Well, what's <laughs> crazy is is that the leg lamp could have shown up in all of Clark's movies. It it was it could have been in Black Christmas as well as a Christmas story. It yeah. uh it could have been in Porky's. Like it totally would have been oh, at home. It, it, it would have been Porky's. This you know, huge Porky energy. And it could have been in Murder by Decree. You know, it could have been in uh Watson's study, maybe. Who knows? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. The murder weapon. But no, Bob Clark is, you know, was such a great director. He made so many good movies, including uh he also made this great film back in 72. It predated Black Christmas by a couple of years. Uh, that was kind of like loosely based on the monkey's paw, but it was like this post-Vietnam movie called Death Dream. Uh, mm. Have you ever seen it? No. Oh, it's, yeah, you definitely need to check that out. Um, but no, he's honestly, you cannot go wrong with a Bob Clark movie. All, well, okay, some of his later movies, like, you know what? I'm not even going to knock them. I have never seen Baby Geniuses or Super Babies, Baby Geniuses 2. Oh my so God, he I, made the Baby Geniuses movies? I did yeah, not know. Yeah, I can't knock him for those, though, because I never saw them. So I think that's I only hear the second one is like the worst film of all time. I don't think the first one is on that list, but maybe I'm wrong. Okay, I don't I don't. I, don't I feel know. like it's like Mask 2 level. Uh, like oh, negative energy that's tough son of um, mass but yeah bob clark bob clark is brilliant so to have him at the helm of this movie and then as you noted like such a great cast we have olivia hussey uh as our lead um, for zeffirelli's romeo and juliet and later she would pop up as the utterly batshit insane version of Mrs. Bates in uh, Mick Garris' Psycho for the beginning with Kier D'Elia, who was in uh, 2001, you know, Kubrick. We have uh, Margot Kidder, who's only a stone's throw away from uh, doing uh, an Amityville horror. Uh, we have John Saxon, about a decade before uh, he played Nancy's dad. And you know what? He never aged. He he looked the way he did in 72, the way he did for the rest of his life. You know, he, he, he I don't know, he was a vampire. But I, I love John section i really, oh my God, I really yeah. do and then um yeah so no as far as like the really noteworthy cast members of course we have sctv's andrea martin as well and uh it was wonderful that she would eventually pop up later on in uh, black christmas 2006 but we're not mm-hmm. there yet but no such such a great cast they're all so hot olivia hussey must have been just the hottest person on the planet in 1974 She's just so hot in this movie and I can't take my eyes off her. She's so funny. Uh, there's this quote um, from, uh, oh God, Marco Kidder was interviewed not long ago about her experience on it. And apparently she got really close with a lot of people on the cast. But apparently Olivia Hussey was like strange, a bit of an odd duck. And she was obsessed with telling people that her psychic was going to help her get Paul McCartney to fall in love with her. And apparently they like were kind of not nice to her because she was like really weird and eccentric, which I just find very funny. You know, I hope that she wound up having an affair. I mean, he would be only so lucky. (laughs) He honestly, I mean, why, you know, why that, that if, if I were a beetle, I would, Uh, I would totally 
actively pursue. Hello, like, oh, in 19, <laughs> yeah, hottest girl on the planet. Can I tell you my like only vaguely interesting shooting location connection to Olivia Hussey? Oh, please. Okay, so as I mentioned, this film is Toronto the musical, like University of Toronto. It's just like my hometown in a nutshell and the university that I went to. So that's really exciting. That is my one connection to a movie that Olivia Hussey was in. My second is small town in Italy by the name of Gubbio. My family grew up there in the summers. I have I had this kind of eccentric grandpa and he was uh, a doctor in Toronto and he learned Italian really well so he could treat the Italian population here and then he bought this like like very isolated crumbling like looming estate in like rural Italy in like the 60s and so my fam my mom and her sisters had to go live there in the summertime to the small town where Romeo and Juliet was filmed I'm sorry did you, can I can I just ask one question did you say they had to go and live in the Italian castle. It is a castle. And I I'm, I, I was like, do I say castle? But yeah, so it was a castle. But no, they had to and they hated it. What? Because it okay. had no running water, to what I understand, for at least the first few years. And there were many scorpions. So my mom, as, as privileged as they were to spend summers in a castle in Italy, apparently it was like not, it, it was like living in a castle in Italy in like the 1700s. But it is, it's a part of my lineage that I am a little bit obsessed with. Josh, and yeah. when are you <laughs> shooting a horror movie uh, at this so family it's estate? It's so sad. So it's been, so yes, it was sold in 2007. No. Which is very sad. It's very, very sad. And in, I believe it's turned into, I think it's either a private property or maybe it's a hotel now. So I'm obsessed with this place. And I did visit it a couple times in my life. I was lucky enough to see it. And it is creepy as hell. Yeah, and it's right next to the town where they where they shot Olivia Hussey as Juliet in Romeo and Juliet. And I, when I went to go visit Gubbio not long ago, I was like, whoa, this is the place. So yeah, those are my two weird familial connections to Olivia Hussey's shooting location. Um, yeah, so that's, that's Olivia Hussey. Other people in it, I, I okay, uh, Andrea Martin, incredible in it. I know she's not, but I really, w- like, would love to interpret her as queer-coded. I, w- I really want to look at Andrea Martin's character in Black Christmas as queer-coded, uh, because she just has a queer energy to me. She looks like a queer girl in 2021. Oh, I, I, as a straight guy, I have no opinion or desire to comment one way or another. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> that, that is fair and safe and wise of you. But as a queer queer, I have to say, I was getting queer energy. And there's a scene in like near the beginning where they're having like a, a party in the sorority house. And she's like talking very close. And I think it's either to Olivia Hussey or to Margot Kidder. And it was just like very hot. And I really ship all of those girls together. I would watch that movie with just the three of them. Yeah. I mean, why? Like not? quietly hitting on one another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think they were. I think that they were. <laughs> and they would have been better off because all the dudes in that movie were scum beggarinas. They really were. Like even, mm-hmm. you know, uh, even mm-hmm. even the likable ones were unlikable to a yeah. certain degree. Oh, exactly. I actually think that this movie was really progressive in a lot of ways. Yeah, it came out one year after Roe versus Wade. And it came out guns a blazing with like a very thoughtful abortion subplot. Do you do you want to like give us a little bit of a rundown on like how like what that subplot sort of entailed? Yeah. So our lead in the movie, Olivia Hussey's character Jess, she has learned that she is pregnant and she is going to have an abortion. And this is something that she runs by her boyfriend, which is Kier D'Elia's 
or Delia, Delia doesn't matter. Uh, she runs by her boyfriend Peter, and uh, Peter sort of takes the hardline stance that she is not going to have an abortion, and so this is a point of contention between them. Um, and just the way that that particular struggle is handled in this movie, like it could have been so easy, especially for two male filmmakers at the helm. You know, you have uh, Bob Clark, obviously, and then you have uh, Roy Moore, who wrote the script. I think it would have been so easy to make that subplot sensational. Mm-hmm. I think they handled in a, 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 being fair. We have to be honest here. Like, obviously that subplot is used to build Peter as a red herring. Yes. yes. But in addition to that, I think they handled that subplot with a good deal of sensitivity for the amount of time that that subplot is on screen and how Definitely. it plays out. Um, and yeah. it's, you know, to me, that is sort of a through line from this particular movie to the 2019 I mean, we can call it a remake, but it's not really a remake at all. We'll get there, I'm sure, but... Reboot. A reboot, re, rethinking, re, whatever the hell... Recalibration. Uh, yeah, reclaiming of a title to tell a completely different story. <laughs> yeah, Who knows? Yeah, 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 um, yeah. But, you know, the, the one through line between those two movies, the 74 film and the 2019 film, in addition to just being about young women who run afoul of stabby stalkers in a sorority house... Um, it seems to be this idea, you know, the subtext of men sort of imposing their will on women and mm-hmm. our heroines, you know, being revealed as the ones who stand defiant in the face of that, you know, mm-hmm. and in, in very different ways. Like, obviously, that that is, you know, that underscores the absolute villainy in the 2019 version, whereas in the 74 movie, you know, Peter is ultimately revealed to not be the ultimate, like the main villain of the piece. Um, but he is, he is still a guy who thinks that he has a claim on this woman's body. And it's funny that we're talking about this right now after a week of everybody being on pins and needles as to whether or not Roe versus Wade is going to be overturned. Um, Mm -hmm. I, 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 you know, it is such an interesting note for this movie to play. It could have been a simple slasher. And even if it had been, it would have been a marvelously made, wonderfully acted slasher film. But the fact that there's this extra little subplot in there gives the entire movie so much more weight than it otherwise would have had. Yeah, it absolutely does. And it, it uh, gives Jess some agency. She's, able to stand up for what she wants. She is able to make her own decisions about her body, even though other people are telling her that she can't. And this is in 1974, as we're saying, one year after Roe versus Wade. And, you know, you're in, it's creating a archetype of a character of the final girl that will eventually go on to have to be chased. And in this one, we're getting a character that, you know, has had premarital sex, has, become pregnant is made the decision to get an abortion. She is still our first ever final girl and like has no apologies to be made about any of that stuff. So I think it was maybe an accident that it came out as sensitive as it did, but it's really cool that this movie went that route. Can I say one controversial thing here while Mm -hmm. we're talking about it? Because while you and I, I think are in complete agreement, uh, regarding the subplot and while i am on jess's side 100 percent, i mm-hmm. do think it is kind of fucked up that she told him right before his recital <laughs> like yeah. I will yeah. say one thing if i say anything <laughs> in peter's defense 
Yeah. I will say that her telling him right before that is fucked up. Like, you know what? Fuck Peter, though, because no matter how how messed up, no matter how much this disturbed his day, he clearly doesn't know how to play the piano. So he should not be in this conservatory because he was just doing what I would be doing. It's just like slapping random keys and sweating a lot. So I don't I'm not convinced Peter actually knows how to play the piano. So he, he uh, definitely couldn't do it under pressure. That's a fact. No, 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 no. Yeah. Fuck Peter. And this is it was, it's the most drastic red herring i've ever seen in a horror film where like they really like go for it almost too much like it's yeah almost, yeah I, I i think it's like a like uh, yeah i don't think it's fair to like just be like this is the killer and then it kind of not being but it's okay it also doesn't make any sense like why is he breaking into the basement randomly for the first time in his life what i love about that is that you could almost make a version of the movie from Peter's point of view. Don't anybody do that. David Gordon, <laughs> no, 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 stay no, the no, fuck no, no. away from Peter. And, I'd secretly and Black watch Christmas. it. Yeah, um, yeah, fuck you, Peter. I would 100% watch it, but I don't want it to exist. Um, <laughs> yeah. But there is a version of Peter's story where he probably came rushing in at the end, like, uh, you know, the knight in shining armor ready to save the day. And to me, there is something kind of hilarious about the fact that this guy feels like he's probably fulfilling that role at the end only to have the ending that he does. You know, Mm -hmm. I I think it's kind of like darkly hilarious that she kills him. I love that she kills him. Um, And also good for her for murdering him and then passing out right away afterwards, I guess. Yeah, that was, that's, that's the one thing, but you know what? Like she's had a tough day. She looks great for having such a bad day, though. When she like wakes up with her with her doll eyes fluttering open so quietly, when they're like, it's, "I love that moment." Okay, end, be, she, be like, honest with me. At the end, even though it's kind of fucked up, <laughs> do you at all ship John Saxon's Lieutenant Fuller and Jess at all? Like just a little bit. Oh, like, I mean, I, I yeah. Okay, listen, I do, but in a way that's like off the record, completely <laughs> off the record. It's in the same way that I ship Buffy and Giles. Like it's so inappropriate, but you know it would be happening. You know, one late night study session at that library. Oh, like, everyone's, and he's in his tweed, and she's working out. I guess Black Christmas was going to have its broadcast television, like primetime premiere. Uh, in January 28th, 1978, about four years after it was released into cinemas. And it was all set to be released on TV. And two weeks prior to this television premiere, uh, the Chi Omega sorority house in Florida State University, but in Tallahassee, there was a horrifying double murder where two sisters were uh, murdered in their own beds when they were asleep, terribly, terribly beaten to death. And the killer that perpetrated this horrible act went to a nearby room in the sorority house and then violently attacked two more sleeping girls uh, who did survive. And then down the line, it was revealed that the killer behind these horrible assaults and attacks was Ted Bundy. Yeah, so, but because of this attack in 1978, they had to pull the Black Christmas television premiere because of, you know, the violence against sorority girls specifically. So because of the Ted Bundy attacks, this movie was actually pulled from TV and that version was going to be titled Stranger in the House. So there's a strange Ted Bundy connection to this film, which is really upsetting and fascinating, actually. Yeah, I had I had only heard about that in passing. That is uh, it's kind of crazy and creepy. It's really creepy. Um, Margot Kidder, our 
just what a what a treat, Margot Kidder. She won basically the Canadian Oscar, or at the time was known as the Canadian Film Award, for Best uh, Lead Actress in this film. This film was also nominated for Best Film. So, cool. I think it's sort of deserved, although I wouldn't call Margot Kidder's performance the lead role by any means, but why not? No, but can I just say, go Canada. I, I like... That, you know, here in the States, the Oscars kind of turned their nose up to horror movies. Oh, yeah. I mean, Tony Collette, Hereditary, where was that nomination, let alone win? You know, but Margot Kidder won for Best Actress in Black Christmas. I mean, that's kind of amazing. And, uh, you know what, I'm going to say not deserved. That character was annoying and weird. (gasps) Why was Uh, she making that baby drink alcohol? Very inappropriate. uh, You know, she was a free spirit, Josh. So and why is she like, there's a man whose daughter is missing and she's like yelling at him about turtles fucking. I just don't think that's appropriate. You know, I, if she didn't win you over with, uh, fucking with the cop. Oh, that was incredible. And the fellatio. The fellatio uh, scene is truly, truly incredible. No, it's a new exchange. Um, you know, that, mm-hmm. I mean, she, she's, I, I adore that character. I really do. <laughs> I do too, but it, it, it was just like. A little weird. Oh, and then she says that weird thing. Oh, she has like a not pro victim line <laughs> early in the film. Do you know what I'm alluding to? Okay, I'll say it. yeah, yeah. Okay, that was. You, you that can't was, say that today. That was, was not like great. A lewd rape, uh, lewd rape joke by that character. You know, she liked to shock people. She was a shock she, comedian. She was, yeah, she was a. She a, didn't a, mean it. She didn't mean it. Comic, shock comic. Um, an amazing death scene though. That, yeah, that is sequence the death is scene. probably one of the most wow. genuinely disturbing slasher killings I, so I can think well of. So well done. So well set up with the with the kids. And also just like one of the most beautiful shots in cinema history with um, Olivia Hussey by the door with, with like in the red light of the wreath. Yeah. Oh my um, God. Oh my God. This movie is so beautiful. And the, and the glass. Um, swans and the glass uh, unicorn, all that shit was just art. I love no, that. it's it's a beautiful like. There are many sequences in this movie that, uh, it, like Clark is so smart to film them in such a way that they're gorgeous and upsetting all at once, and mm-hmm. uh, he he really knows how to stage a, a a a a good killing, you know. Truly, and there's like in Halloween, like there is no like there's a little bit of blood, but you. Like, you don't have any practical gore. You don't, like, see any kind of, like, like flesh getting torn up or anything. You just see a little bit of blood after the fact. But the way they do it, it's kind of like Psycho. It's like they cut it just right. Yeah. Especially in that, that, that Margot Kidder scene. Do you so think, scary. Now that you mention that, I've never considered that before. But do you think that Clark had Psycho in mind when he did uh, Margot yeah. Kidder's death scene? Definitely. Um. I will say Bob Clark died on my birthday when I was in grade 12 and it haunts me to this day. I think about it all the time. Such a horrible, I remember, uh, I think I was at work. Uh, I was working in a movie theater at the time when I found out that he and yeah. his son had been, what was it? They were hit and killed by a fucking drunk. And I just, it's so damn sad that, you know, what a loss yeah. for all cinema. Cause he's, you know, he's done everything. He, he has a classic, all over the place, that guy. I really do believe kid, yeah. that given the opportunity, like if he were still with us today, 
that man would have revisited Black Christmas by now, I think. Do you think so? I think so. And not just, you know, I know that we had the Black Christmas in 2006, but that was spearheaded by the Weinsteins. I'm sure they only gave a rat's ass about the title. But, I mean, you know, if we had Bob Clark around 16, 17, 18, around in there, I feel like... uh, it, it wouldn't mm. even have to. It doesn't even have to be a Halloween 2018 reference. But I'm just saying, yes, it would somebody be like, like a Jason Blum might have been like, "Hey, why don't you help us launch?" You know, Black. Maybe Christmas he would have. Yeah, he would have like connected him with Sophia to call. Sort yeah. of like um, Green was connected with uh, Carpenter. Totally. Like have him. You know, have him. Have him come in and produce. Have him spearhead the thing. You know, why not? Mm-hmm. Get 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 his. Uh, you know, this sort of POV on it. Maybe. Yeah. Could have been interesting. That's what that's sort of what the trend of what they're doing now. Oh yeah, because they're they're doing it with Scream, because they're getting Kevin Williamson as an executive producer. Yeah, hundred um, percent. And are they doing it with the Texas Chainsaw? Because Texas Chainsaw is going the same uh, route where it's like the same title, but they're calling it a sequel. Just yeah, like Scream, just like Halloween. What's crazy is is that the Texas Chainsaw franchise already pulled that shit once in 2013. It predated this trend by about a half a decade. Was that Texas Chainsaw 3D? Yep, it did the same thing, where it's like, you know what? We're forgetting all of the other movies. We're going right back to the original. We're making a direct sequel. And, you know, and now whenever it the we... the same title, basically. Exactly. You know, and now, you know, whenever we we think of somebody doing that, it's like, well, it's doing the Halloween 2018 thing. It's like, nah, yeah, but actually well, it's that, doing the Texas Chainsaw 3D. If that was a little thing. better, maybe we would give it a little bit more of a, of a fair shake. Do your thing, cuz. I did a whole article not that long about that line. It's I such a, a funny line. I do honestly think if if it didn't feel so damned insulting what they do with the lead character's age throughout the course of the movie, I think I might have been able to enjoy it as a fun, dumb slasher movie. But that is just it's one step too far. Like I cannot enjoy the movie because of what they do with her age and the fact that they know what they did and they know we know and they still try it anyway it's, i will say she is a phenomenal actor alexandra daddario she oh is oh my god yeah really marvelous in that she's, she's a great fucking great actor and i don't think she quite gets the credit that she should just because well, she was she just is, in the white lotus which I have not. Seen. No, I take that back. I've seen the first episode, and I liked it. I haven't seen any more of them. I think she's finally. I feel like getting her flowers because of White Lotus, which is kind of the whole theme of White Lotus, because it's what they did to Jennifer Coolidge too. So, gotta love any chance in the horror community to talk about White Lotus. I'm gonna take it. I think that's only fair. <laughs> Thank you. Um, any other performances in this film that you think we need to touch base on? There's also the famous Lynn Griffin. Griffin. Lynn Griffin was Claire, right? Yes, I think so. Were you thinking of the house mother? I was thinking of Marianne Waldman as the, the uh, alcohol, as Mrs. The, Mack. Yes. <laughs> what a weird... I just found her so sad that the movie was not portraying it as sad. They're like making fun of her alcoholism, but I was like, this is so sad. I don't think it's sad because she's having a blast. Uh, she is having a blast. She's having the time of her life. She, she is living her life. She is and having she has, a great she time. She hates the girls, actually. She's very judgmental. She is. That's a fact. She makes that comment about how they would like get on top of the Leaning Tower of Pisa if they could figure it out, which is, what a burn. Love that character so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I felt bad that she had to hide her booze everywhere. She was clearly suffering from alcoholism. Um, is it? What, was she suffering? You know, this is all about perspective. And I guess alcoholism was not a disease in 1974. 
was no, a lifestyle. exactly. It was um, you know, it just meant you were fun at parties. So He's exactly. We didn't have the same language uh, at the time. Um, her death scene is pretty iconic too. Agree. Oh my god. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's on some of the uh, the ad art, I believe. Not all of it, but oh, some. is it? I love that. I found the Japanese poster or one of the Japanese posters for the original film, and it's so incredible. Love it. I, 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 yeah, I adore it. No, Claire, I'm sorry, the missing daughter, right? Lynn Griffin? Oh, the first, the, the first? Yes, is great. She was also in Curtains, which is a movie I adore. Canadian, I think Canadian icon, if I'm not mistaken. Nice. Good deal. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I mean, this, this movie... I think it's just sterling all all around. I can't really mm-hmm. think of any weaknesses it has. I, I think horror owes a great debt to it. Um, oh, I don't yeah. think, and we can talk about this later, and I'm certain we're going to, like, I don't <laughs> believe we would have Halloween without it. I don't care if that's no controversial way. to say or not. It's true. No way. Yeah, you were absolutely right. Um, but, uh, but no, Black Christmas, I think, is just honestly a masterwork of the genre i really think so um and what do you give it out of 10 give it what, uh, how many um uh glass figurine unicorns out of 10 do you give it um all of them so Me too. yeah this it's, is it's, a, this, it's this is a this is a a 10 for sure it's you know it's not often that we can use the word perfect when it comes to nope. horror films and i think this movie is perfect yeah like kind of like halloween in a way yeah, it absolutely. has that Halloween perfection, just like Chef's Kiss. Yes, now, and because it's Christmas, it has mood just baked in, sort of like Halloween, actually. Now I have to ask you, um, because we talked a moment ago about this movie and the 2019 film, and the mm-hmm. fact that they both kind of have a bit more on their minds than a mere slashery. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think the 2006 movie has that much going on in the attic. Um, you, you can tell <laughs> That's me if you... funny. Was that a purpose? Was, uh, that a purpose? Was that a purposeful funny? You know, no. I regretted it about a no, half a no, second before. You know, I just, I knew it was wrong, but <laughs> it I said so, it anyway. But it's so right. Um, no, but you're right. The, 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 um, the cream filling of the, of this trio is definitely lacking in the thoughtfulness department. Yeah. It, but I will say this. Can I, can I speak about my experience with 2006? I would love that. Cause that's where we're going. Okay. So black Christmas, 2006 or black Xmas. Uh, if you yeah, want to which consider I prefer, it. By the way. I do too, actually, yeah, uh, yeah. because it, you know, it kind of sets it, it aside from the other it, movies. It tells you is, what it is. It's honest. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I was super excited to see this movie when it came out back in 2006. Um, I was kind Same. of a big fan of Miramax and Dimension's uh, um, insistence on counter-programming horror movies at Christmas time. Like, uh, yeah. you know, Scream and uh, The Darkness and uh, Wolf Creek and um, um, The Darkness, the Jaume Balaguerra film um, mm-hmm. came out. You know, so they kind of had a knack for releasing dark stuff right at Christmas and always seemed to clean up for it. I, I, I tell you, I worked at a movie theater during some of these and I never would have thought that of all the movies to play the week of Christmas that Wolf Creek would be the one that would sell out <laughs> its damned auditorium, but that's what happened. <laughs> We're fucked. We are just not, human beings are just <laughs> fucked up and I celebrate that for us. Um, but, you know, Black Christmas, I was such a fan of the original. And I tell you, had anybody 
anybody at all, just any old director picked up the reins of Black Christmas, a movie that I've just spoken at length about why I love. Mm-hmm. Had anybody done that, I would have, I would have, I would have been the guy who was crossing his arms, saying like, "Yeah, you, you just try and impress me, right?" But the fact that it was the team of uh, Glenn Morgan and James Wong, you know, uh, mm-hmm. guys whose work together that I've loved, going back to the X Files, you know, uh, just yes. a few years prior, they did a great remake of Willard, uh, which I that, adore. That was- that was before. That was 2003-ish, right? Yes. Yeah, just a few years uh, prior, they did like... Very uh, weird movie. Very weird remake. Uh, yeah, I, it is... And not in a bad way. Very like... It needs to be talked about more. Oh, I adore it. I adored that movie. But um, yeah, yeah so the fact that they were doing it, I was like, you know what? This is in great hands. This is going to be a great movie. And, uh, you know, you look at the cast. We had... Uh, like I mentioned, Michelle Trachtenberg. We had Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who wasn't uh, quite amazing. Mary Elizabeth Winstead at that she point. She was on but her she way. Was, she was like Mary Elizabeth at that point. Yeah. Like, yeah. like Mary Elizabeth Winstead, dot, dot, dot. She's getting there. She, you know? She's coming. Yeah. Mary Elizabeth Winstead loading. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we had Lacey Chabert. We had, um, you know, Andrea yeah, Martin Lacey, with her. I, so I watched this last night because I wanted to like, I don't know, it's been forever. Lacey is in it. What's your face? From Mean Girls is in it. I was shocked i where did she go where is she Uh, you know did you know she was the voice of meg for the first two seasons of family guy yeah and then they replaced her what the hell so apparently she wouldn't come back so they got canceled and when they were then they managed to come back on the air uh they were like please come back and she was like fuck you guys no way and then it blew up and apparently they make fun of her all the time apparently they're always making jokes about like how she really fucked up Oh. And she she really did because I'm sure they're they're bad, raking in the money for that one. Bad decision. What did she think that she was going to get I, multiple Mean Girls sequels coming out? The, no, you know? and now she's like in a bunch of Hallmark movies. But we still celebrate her. Oh, that's a shame, Lacey. Come on. But uh, and Katie Cassidy of um, Nightmare on Elm Street 2010 fame. Katie Cassidy, who is another actor that I really really like that I wonder like where has she gone like she was so good in Supernatural there is yeah Sorry. she played uh I believe the demon Ruby before she switched bodies to Jared Padalecki's wife to be yeah and not only that she was in a um she was in this great little low budget uh horror superhero movie called The Scribbler and if you ever get the chance to watch Whoa. that it is marvelous that sounds but, uh, cool as hell. Yeah, but no, good, good cast, great filmmakers. Again, we we go, you know, we talk about the pedigree that yeah. all of these movies have had. Like, there Wait, was we can't no- forget about uh, Kate 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 Hudson's brother Oliver Hudson. As it turns out, apparently I forgot about him because I don't know who that is. <laughs> oh, that's okay. I met Oliver Hudson. Yay! Yay! I'm sorry, Oliver. If you're out there listening, I I apologize. He is right here, actually, in the room with me, and he's crying. Ollie, I'm sorry. Um, But no, so I actually did not play at my theater, the one that I was working Ah. at at the time, so I had to travel about 30 minutes south to Huntington, West Virginia. I bought a ticket to the big new, like, 16-screen cinema there called Marquee. Mm -hmm. Um, I walk in and I get my seat and loads of people file in because this is a horror movie at Christmas. Not only is it a horror movie at Christmas, it's a Christmas horror movie at Christmas. Like finally the Weinsteins were like, wait a second, how could we kick this up a notch? Yeah. You know? And, um, yeah, God, I don't want to give the Weinsteins credit for fucking anything, but 
But yet they always they always have to come out because if you have a if you have a topic into the development hall universe, like they are fucking in it for some reason. That's a fact. Um, so yeah, no, I I, I took my seat and um, problem number one. Lining up right behind me was a rowdy group of, I think, teenage girls mm-hmm. who clearly had snuck into this R-rated film. And they were chattering like through the trailers. And I was like, Fuck, not a good sign. Not, not a good not sign. Great, not great. And so the movie begins and I'm like, am I going to have to say something? Am I going to have to be that guy? The guy who turns around and is like, hey, I will kill your family if you don't shut up. Like, am I going to have to be that dude? You will. But the thing is, is that I actually watched enough of the movie in that first 10 minutes. And I was like, what the hell is this? Yeah, it shows its hand. And so, yeah, so we know who Billy is at the off. Um, He kills his family. He makes skin cookies, like bakes them and eats them. He's also raped by his mom, which like, I'm not, I just like, I can't support, I can't support it. There it's too is too weird. Uh, it it makes a lot of decisions, and you know what? I I turned on the movie so fast that the girls behind me, to their credit, were like this Greek chorus <laughs> that made the movie going experience more enjoyable to me because they lampooned the shit out of the film, and this was the one time in my history of going to movies that I did not like turn borderline homicidal at it. Not only did I not, but I actually appreciated their contributions to what I was certain was a terrible movie. Now I had written that movie off for all time. Like I didn't just, it didn't even exist. And I started hearing about a decade later, enough people pop up on podcasts trying to defend every fucking year. And saying like, oh, no, Black Xmas is actually a great movie and blah, blah, blah. And it's it's great if you take it as a fun slasher. It's great if you don't compare it to the original. It's great if blah, 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 blah. And I was no. like, no, 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 no. And you know what, Josh? One year, I was like, you know what? I'm going to prove him wrong. I'm going to pop this damn thing in. I'm going to revisit it. I'm just going to try and trudge through and just remind myself of how bad it was. And so I bought the damn DVD at my local FYE for like five bucks because it was used because I refused to buy it new and I popped it into my player and I enjoyed the hell out of it. Twist. I was able to divorce it from the original movie. I was able to accept it as a dumb slasher movie and I had a ball with that film. It makes so many <laughs> utterly bizarre, bonkers decisions. It's so gonzo and out there that yeah. I cannot help but enjoy it. Like, it, it's so much fun. Um, it is gonzo as hell. I am curious to see what you think about it. Okay, so I remember hating it a lot the first time I saw it in 2006 in theaters with my dad. And then I had never seen it again. And then I were, I do remember being irritated with Twitter every year, like trying to convince me that it's good. And then I decided I had a bunch of friends over last night and we put it on in the background because I didn't, I couldn't put on the new one. Cause I, I couldn't put on the original cause I had to pay attention. So we put on this in the background and I thought, Oh, I'll get a sense. And I, so I don't know because I, I, I hated it the first time. And the second time I didn't give it my full attention but it seemed very outrageous and not unlike the best ways. That's that's my takeaway. 
it's definitely the dumbest of the three. It's aiming the lowest. Like, yeah. I don't know yeah, what, and sure. as I understand it, like uh, Morgan and Wong, they, they had some production troubles as you, you, you will on a, on a, Weinstein, on a Weinstein set. Yeah. So who knows what they were attempting to do initially? Who knows if they were trying for something higher minded, something that was a bit more um, uh, faithful to the original movie. Who knows? But all I know is, is what they wound up making is it's it's it doesn't hold a candle to the original no but just taken as a fun silly slasher movie i i i just think it's a blast and by not, the time you get to the third so act mean spirited though so like, mean spirited but not in a way that i've had fun with but i don't know i can't say i can't i i don't have the ability to to give a real opinion right now i, I would give it another decade just put it out of your mind and then come back to it at a later date Oh with an God. open heart and a liver full of booze, and you might enjoy it. Yeah, you know what? I mean, listen, I'm sure this isn't... I'm sure this isn't the last we're going to see of 2006 Black Xmas, and I wish I could say that it was. <laughs> I will also say this is definitely before there was any push for any form of diversity in horror movies. It's just a bunch of pale brunettes. It was like, did Mike Flanagan direct this? Oh. I'm sorry, Mike Flanagan. Oh, so much. Flanagan. Um, I know. At least make one like a ginger. I don't know who's who. Yeah, you you know you are right. Like we we know them all now because you know we know Michelle Trachtenberg, we know Mary Elizabeth Winstead, we know Lisa Chabert. But you are right. Like you at a glance, like uninitiated viewers, how the hell did they tell any of them apart? You can't. They are all the same person. Michelle Trachtenberg really not utilized properly in that film. Also, how is the eyeball just everywhere? Like the eyeballs in the ground, the eyeballs in the wall. Like, how is that eyeball getting around? And plus, I mean, well, I got to imagine it's all set up for the eyeball trauma that happens throughout the course of the movie because there's just eyeball, mo- like eyeball violence motif is big in that one. The movie hates eyes is a fact. It, that that movie hates eyes. Yeah, I just saw The Hills of Eyes for the first time in my entire life this weekend. Nice. Which the, one? The the original. Uh, so this is also controversial and will have me run off of Twitter, but, um, as much as I love Wes Craven and I do love Wes Craven and he, I do enjoy his original Hillside Eyes. I really do. I actually prefer Alex Aja's remake. Oh, is I mean, listen, as someone that only saw the original two days ago. Yeah. Same. It's not great. It's just very dated. It's very silly, the original. Like, I, I don't know what it would have been like to watch that in whatever year it came out. It's probably a completely different experience. You know, uh, it's, it's funny because um, when you watch Alex Aja's remake, like, uh, Craven had a hand in crafting it. Um, and it came out right movie. at the height of, like, the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the war and, you know, like, anti-American sentiment was probably at its highest. Bush was still in office. And The Hills Have Eyes, you know, like all of the best 70s films, you know, that 2006 remake really sort of took the temperature of the country at the time and wove that into this remake that is Mm -hmm. faithful to the story structurally. But, you know, what it's getting at and the the themes that it sort of wrestles with along the way are very sort of of its time. And uh, not only that, but I mean, Alex Aja is no stranger to just 
really, really making intense stuff. And I, I think The Hills yeah. Have Eyes is one of the finest horror remakes that we've had in ages. Um, and maybe it's very that's, divisive. I feel like people are on your side or very against you. Yeah, but you know what? I will say it's movies like that and the Dawn of the Dead remake. You know, those were you know uh, remakes that you never thought that you would see but wound up being great and so maybe that was mm-hmm. part of the reason that you know i went into black christmas 2006 with uh with an open heart and an open mind and uh you know i probably shouldn't have maybe not but as listen it's a part of the narrative and we have to celebrate that it's here just like we have to do with black christmas 2019 another very do i want to say divisive chapter in the black christmas universe you know some you're people not like it wrong. and a lot of people hate it you're not wrong but i feel like with black christmas 2006 the divisiveness comes down to quality like the quality of the film at hand yeah whereas with black christmas 2019 like it's divisive for way more stupid reasons why don't we get into it why don't we yeah. get into are we ready to get into 2019 or do we have any like Final thoughts, final sort of whiffs about 2006. No, I, I think 2006 isn't a movie that really inspires much thought, so... <laughs> no, and I don't think it wants to. I don't think it would want us to, to be thinking. I think no, it we're celebrates it not thinking. We're honoring it by, by being dumb. Yeah. <laughs> the 2019 remake, I saw it in theaters. How about you? Uh, same. Nice. Yeah, it came out uh, like basically one year after Halloween 2018. And it was going to be Blumhouse's kind of like big IP follow-up between Black Christ- uh, between Halloween 2018 and Halloween Kills. They, they sort of plopped it in in between. And there was a lot of hype for it. And then I think a lot of people kind of felt let down once it came out. Um, and I'm interested to know how you felt about it. There was kind of this narrative that sprung up around it before it was released that because it was directed by a woman, it was written by a woman, um, you know, because it was about a group of women who were fighting back against, you know, toxic males. There was this kind of, um, you know, all of the people that I follow uh, were, were sort of like, you know, we all couldn't wait to see it. And then there was kind of like this very loud group that was uh, sort of decrying the fact that this movie was, uh, you know, trying to be too woke and too this and too that. And, um, you know, that only put me on the movie side even more. I didn't know what the hell it was. You know, I saw the trailer and I was like, this is not my black Christmas, but you know what? I'm going to give it a shot. Just if for no other reason than because all the wrong people are are bashing the hell out of it before they've even seen it and mm-hmm. uh, so i'm content to buy a ticket to it and support you know whatever this is going to be uh that was only cemented by the fact that i think when uh joe bob uh said something like i think in response to the movie coming out he he came out with this nonsense what was it that uh horror movies weren't meant to be political uh, you know horror oh, movies aren't God. supposed to be political and it's like are what you, are you like have you ever seen a horror movie Buddy, I, Joe thing, Bob. He, oh God, I didn't know about that, or I forgot. He's not stupid, but he says the dumbest fucking things sometimes. Um, so yeah, no, I was I was fully on this movie's side, and I got to tell you, when I watched it, I was um, I needed like that week. We're we're two weeks into December of 2019. Like I got to tell you, I needed an escape at that point. Um, and I got it with this movie. I really really dug the film. I still dig the film. Um, I, I think it's very well made. I love the story that it tells. I love 
how much fun it has with its premise and the sort of subtext and how they're woven together. Um, I will admit that I think the movie lacks some necessary punch. Uh, it's obviously, and I would be surprised if I'm wrong about this, not because I would be surprised at being wrong, but you know, I just, the kills in the movie seem to me like they've been cut to ribbons to secure uh, the rating that it did. You know what I mean? Like, yes, it, I do. it seems very bloodless and I would love to see like a harder version of the movie because that to me is the movie's only real um, uh, fault. You know, it, mm-hmm. every one of the kills you know, it pulls its punches and, you know, it, it shouldn't, you know, for the type of movie it is. And I would love to know why it was edited. And I would love to know what decisions went behind that when you're following up the 1974 movie, which is notoriously like violent and dark. And the 2006 movie, which revels in slashery mayhem, why this movie felt the need to sort of, you know, uh, um, um, hamstring. Mm. all of its uh of its kills you know it's just it's it's such a bummer to me it's it's strange listen i am also a fan like i enjoyed it it felt very three star to me i I think i don't know his name imogen poots yes love her really did a great job what a strong strong actor she is and she carried it, it great and i did like the ensemble um, I did not connect with the supernatural element. I think we could have had, we could have gone the same political route with toxic masculinity with just as much flair if it had been a straight up, like, realistic slasher. I think that they approached some topics on, like, surviving assault and being a victim and, and, and having agency and all that stuff. I think it did really well. I think it was beautiful even in some parts. But I think it just got messy with in the storytelling, especially near the end. I understand that. I I will say that I appreciated that about it. Uh, I love that it went that batshit in its final act. Um, yeah, fair. Just because you know that to me really helped set it aside and set it apart from the previous films. You know, um, that's true. I feel like if you didn't have that supernatural aspect of it, then it would be very easy to look at that cult as it's like, oh, okay, instead of one Billy, we have. A number of them, you know. Yep. But Which by introducing the supernatural, really like it, it even stands further apart from all that's come before. And I think it, it, I think it's to its benefit. But that's just me. Have you seen um, Bria Grant's Lucky? Uh, yes. Yeah. I, 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 I think that did a similar. I think that did something similar, maybe, maybe a little bit more successfully, with with the metaphor of of toxic masculinity being the slasher. Um, I can see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, yeah, I find that also that's a dread title. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Sophia to call, uh, do you, are you familiar with, with her work besides black Christmas 2019? I am not. Uh, I was actually looking at her filmography in advance of this chat and it occurred to me oh. that I had not seen any of her stuff before this or anything since apparently. I had seen her. Is it into the dark that, um, like, like that Blumhouse, anthology series where she did like a new year's eve segment that was pretty great actually and then i think other than that she's she's done tv basically i think this might be her only film oh wow that's a shame because so far i i do think it is a strong feature i would love to see what else she uh 
It is. I hope that they didn't put her in director's jail. I feel like maybe it didn't perform so great. And I also don't think it had a great marketing push. It real no, it was dumped. Like for, for yes, that felt title carried. for that title for for releasing it right around Christmas time, there should have been a huge push behind it, and it feels like it was dumped. Yeah, I think Bloomhouse hasn't had a great reputation with how they support their female filmmakers. Like a lot of the time they end up getting um, designated to welcome to the Blumhouse. And a lot of the time they don't, they like find ways to not release them into cinemas. Like kind of happened with the craft. It happened with like a bunch of the welcome to the Blumhouse chapters. I just feel like, I don't know. They don't give their women filmmakers the same distribution mm, privileges sometimes that they could. Which I do just want to say that, um, I really did like the craft. It was fun. I didn't love it, but it was fun. Oh, I, I wasn't bored at all. I, I, but I, I can't say that I, I that I loved it. But okay, yeah, that's fair. I, and I, I I love that you loved it. To be honest. So wait, wait, wait. Did you watch the movie then? And then at the end of it, were you like, okay, I get why they didn't release it wide. A little bit. Okay. <laughs> I think it like. I think that one was maybe more of a victim of circumstance in terms of the pandemic. Oh, totally. hundred um, percent. I think that one probably would have managed to made it into theaters. Um, but yeah, I mean, Blumhouse, they've been working on their female filmmaker quota, so they're doing okay, I guess. <laughs> now, can I ask, you know, so we have these three black Christmas movies. Okay. Do you want to see, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not discussing anything that you and I are eventually going to get to. I'm just talking about mm-hmm, as far as mm-hmm. these three go. Do we want to see the franchise continue in such a way where it's just called Black Christmas and it's set in a sorority and it tells a completely different story from what's come before? Should it be oh, that's genius? Kind of. Should Black like Christmas that. be like an anthology? I think that's great because a it would retroactively make these three titles make sense that, yeah. because we're getting, once you have three films with the same title is like you're in messy territory. But I think if you did what you were describing, it would kind of retroactively uh, allow for it to not be stupid. So it could be like, what like Halloween that. was meant to be around the time of season of the witch. You know, we have, uh, you know, mm-hmm. black Christmases. I think we that, have the, I, we have I always the like a subtitle though. <laughs> the, yeah. That's cute. Yeah. I do like that. And it would, maybe it would be fun to get like a, a fraternity one, like a re, like a male gaze reversal one, sort of like they did with Slumber Party Massacre. You know, we've already introduced the supernatural into the third movie. Give it another three or four films. We can do like um, uh, Into the Christmas Verse, where we bring like, you know, 70-year-old Olivia Hussey in to meet, you know, like 30-year-old cool Imogen Boots. Why not? And she's probably still hot as hell, too. Oh, no doubt. Um, God, she's so, everybody in Psycho 4 is hot too. I'm hopefully he was a, a, at least 18 so I can talk about it, but, um, I think he was. Talk, what was his name? Give me a, give um, me a... uh, oh fuck. We were just talking about Flanagan e. a second too. E. Henry e. Thomas. Henry, Henry, Henry Thomas. Yeah. What a babe uh, in Psycho 4. My gosh. And who is the, the woman that works like as the, as the journalist, the, the radio broadcaster? Uh, CCH Pounder. She is yeah. amazing. I love that. I don't know why I love that framing in that film. It just works. Oh, it's incredible. It's such a smart way to do it, especially with, um, you know, the doctor from the end of the first film coming in to be interviewed by her character. And then I love so much that he doesn't even stick it out to the very end. Like he gets up and just huffs off. And I'm like, that's, that's kind of perfect. You know, 
it's it's a smart little yeah i mean i adore the, psycho the four. secret yeah me too the secret not secret about the psycho movies is that they're kind of all good they're all good they're all great yeah especially that second one meg tilly stop it right now yeah Too talking about shipping us. like part of me deep down like i know there's a massive age difference but you know what i kind of wanted norman and marine to run off together at the end of the movie i wanted him to find happiness you know i want to be happy too aka in a lovely gay relationship but you know that's what they really should have like i wish he was gay as hell and not and not just the actor but that but the but but i think uh norman Norman was i think so you know they they did sort of pursue that a little bit not as much as they probably should have but they did pursue that notion in um uh, bates motel Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I mean, he would have, he has gay face, so that would have worked out great. <laughs> um, so do we have any final thoughts, any final things to say on the remakes before we head into secret histories and alternate realities? No, I just want to say, I guess, in wrapping up that I t- think the two Black Christmas follow-ups, yeah, I mean, they do pale in comparison to the original, but in their own quite different ways, they do have their own strengths and they are fun in their own right. And they're definitely worth watching. And you know what? Before this season is out, I'm going to watch all three again. Hell yeah. I mean, I've, I'm, I think I'm getting you to it because I've already gotten through two. I want to watch the, I want to watch 2019 again this year for the first time since I saw it in theaters. Nice. Okay. Yeah. All right. So are you feeling ready? Are you feeling ready to hit into secret histories and alternate realities territory? I'm ready to go. We know that John Carpenter was a fan of Black Christmas, it, like before he made Halloween. He hired Bob Clark to direct a script for a project that never ended up ma- they never ended up making that I'd love to cover one day, titled Prey. Yeah, what the hell was that? I don't know, but we, you and I need to get to the bottom of this at some point. Yeah, no, I totally would love to see exactly what Prey was about. I, uh, It's funny, I had never heard of that until recently when I was doing a little bit of research in advance of this chat, but beforehand you know i talked about fangoria 159 earlier in that issue bob clark talked about the fact that um (laughs) he had worked with a young writer named john carpenter on this particular project i don't think it was named as such it wasn't named prey in that article in that interview but he said that he he knew carpenter they had worked together and that he had told him that if he ever did a sequel to black christmas he would do a movie about Billy basically having been uh, um, uh, uh, placed in, you know, sort of an asylum and he would have been there for a year. Then he would have escaped and would have come home to terrorize, you know, I don't know if it would have been Jess or who knows, but it would have happened on Halloween and he would have called the movie Halloween. Now it later, he did an interview, I believe with icons of fright, which is Mm -hmm. the interview that I think most outlets sort of reference including bloody disgusting and i think the ringer and everyone they all go back to that icons of fright interview with clark where Mm -hmm. he noted as you pointed out that uh, it was that movie prey that clark was working with halloween or (laughs) halloween carpenter on and that's where that conversation took place and yeah it it all goes to in that interview he said uh and i believe you have it quoted here uh do you want to go and read the quote what he actually said about that particular project and uh sure i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna become bob clark okay are you ready it's gonna be really really impressive hit us okay um no i'm not 
Okay, so <laughs> I did a film about three years later, uh, started a film with John Carpenter, and it was his first film for Warner Brothers. He asked me if I, if I, was, I was ever going to do a sequel to Black Christmas, and I said, no, I was through with horror. I didn't come into the business to just do horror. And he said, well, what would you do if you did do a sequel? And I said, well, it would be the next year and the guy would have been caught and escaped from a mental institution and he would go back to the house and would start all over again. It would be called Halloween. No, no, that's totally it because what's funny is he didn't quite, I think he covered it differently in the Fangoria article, but what's funny uh-huh. is that he actually capped the entire thing by saying something like, but I don't think John ripped me off or he might have yes, had a I rough idea in mind, but I don't believe he directly lifted it because he, you know, the script already came to him as Halloween and blah, blah, blah. But that's right. It was already called that. Is that that's not actually true. <gasps> oh, because it was Irwin and I think the bloody disgusting article, I think John Squires or Brad Miska wrote it. Yeah, It was John Squires. Yeah. John Squires. Okay. Um, so John wrote uh, and pointed out that I'm sorry, Bob, you, you're actually wrong about that because the idea came from Erwin Yablons, who had an idea to do a movie called The Babysitter Murders. He had the loose idea for it, and he passed that along to John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, and oh. their script told the story that it did about the maniac who escaped from the asylum and came back after a year, you know, or so many years away. And um, uh-huh. And they named it Halloween. So... I I appreciate the fact that Bob Clark was willing to let John Carpenter off the hook and to have his flowers, but it but, seems like maybe there's a there's a middle ground here of some kind. Yeah, I mean, he, there's no way that Carpenter wasn't referencing Clark's idea to some degree. There just isn't. The, in the films, like if you if you play them side by side, it's impossible to deny the influence. Oh my god, visual visually and structurally. I mean, they're totally, they're companion pieces. You know, those are the two movies that set the template for what slashers are. Yeah, they are. So, no, I mean, I, I, again, bless Bob Clark for letting us know that it was his idea first, but also letting Carpenter off the hook. But at the same time, like looking at the evidence that's laid out before us, I, I think Halloween owes a pretty big debt to Black Christmas beyond merely following in its footsteps you know oh absolutely and it's not in a way that we like are condemning like we're we're thrilled like thank god that black christmas could exist so that we could have an evolution into a film as important as halloween there's room for both of them like taylor swift and beyonce (laughs) absolutely i can't argue that um but it does make me wonder and shall we get into this Mm mm-hmm it does make me wonder, what if Bob Clark had made Halloween? What Whoa. would the genre look like today? What would the slasher subgenre look like today if Bob Clark... First, I'll ask you. If Bob Clark had made a direct sequel to Black Christmas called Halloween, do you think... And we'll even say 78... We'll say it takes him six years for some reason, or four years, however long it was. Mm-hmm. We'll say it takes him that long. So it's the same year that Halloween comes out, the Carpenter film. Mm-hmm. Do you think it would have been the hit that Carpenter's movie was? I've been thinking about this in some ways. No, I, I think the reason Halloween 
sort of accidentally became the sensation that it did had something to do with that the mask and and the the cult of personality surrounding Michael Myers and I don't think you get that or would have gotten that with this with with, with Billy cuz Billy you don't you know you don't have that mask you don't have you don't have the same symbol you, you don't have the same visual signals that you have with Michael Myers which made him so literally iconic like visually memorable i think billy is 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 scarier but i don't think you have i don't think you have the same touchstones for something that can be as memorable as michael myers with his you know with his quiet energy and the mask and 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 the butcher knife i just think no how do you feel I agree with you entirely. You wouldn't as Bob Clark would have made a fantastic film that we would, as horror fans, continue to talk about today. We would like every. But horror we wouldn't fan, have a franchise. We wouldn't. I mean, we might. We might. Here's the thing: it might have done well enough. You know, if Black Christmas had done well enough to give us Halloween, Bob Clark's Halloween, then maybe Bob Clark's Halloween would have justified a handful of sequels down through the years. It's possible. But would we wouldn't it, have had it, like a Michael Myers though. Now, would it have been the 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 juggernaut of the genre that Carpenter's Halloween franchises? Uh, no, absolutely not. And you're right; it comes it comes down to the iconography, and not just Michael Myers, not just the mask, but you know, I there is something so Americana about that franchise, and you know, the fact that it's set in small town America, that it's set in the Midwest, even though it was shot in fucking Pasadena. Um, that I think <laughs> really sort of like captured this country's imagination. I, and as a result, I think was a big part of its financial success. I don't think you get that if Bob Clark makes his Halloween in Toronto, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, and, uh, I, I want to see that movie so bad. I want to hop into an alternate universe and check that out. I really do. But I don't, it it would not have been like this independent film sensation the Carpenter's movie wound up being. But, no, I gotta say, it does make me wonder. Like, what would the genre look like right now if that had happened? Like, if Bob Clark had made his Halloween, Carpenter could not have made his, which means Mm -hmm. that we no longer have the Halloween franchise. We have to remove that. Um, Why would you do that to us? We have to pull them all out of existence. They no, no. longer exist, right? But in their place. Understanding mm. that it's likely not to be as successful as the franchise that no longer exists, what does the Billy franchise look like? It's it's, it's scarier in a more disturbing, less fun way, I think. And I don't think you'd have Jason either. Like I, I don't think the modern slasher would have ever been born. If that had if that had been the alternate reality, no, because I mean, if hadn't if if Halloween hadn't been a juggernaut, like uh, Cunningham wouldn't have been looking to rip it off, you know. No, so then probably wouldn't have Freddy in some ways either. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I don't know. It's I, hard to say with that one. Freddy's a wild card in all the ways. Freddy's but. a wild card, and plus that was born out of a lot of Craven's own personal concerns and background. So I I would like to think. That we would, but still maybe have. I don't know if that would have would it, would it have succeeded as 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 much if it wasn't for the trend instilled by Halloween. All um, I know is that one way or another, in two thousand three, we would have had a Freddy versus Billy. So cool. Well, watch out, Freddy. You, I'm worried for you, girl, because 
Billy's <laughs> Billy Billy seems like he's he's a lot to handle. I don't know, but you know, if we had had that Bob Clark's Halloween, you know, Billy escapes from a mental asylum. He goes after a young girl babysitting on Halloween night. Like, why wouldn't it be called Black Halloween? Who knows? Uh, or Red Halloween? No, that's terrible. You know, but what what follows that? Could we have uh, follow with me here? Could we have Black Thanksgiving? Wherein Billy Ooh. goes after his twin brother and mother at their remote apartment community and discovers that, hey, that's not cranberry sauce. <laughs> Could we have <laughs> Black New Year's where Billy phones up a punk rock TV host and lets her know that he's mm-hmm. going to kill a naughty girl every time the clock strikes midnight in each time zone? Oh, you're getting him in all of them. Could we what have, are... Josh? Oh, sure. Yeah, 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 I'm here. Black Valentine. Wherein Billy stalks a group of women in San Francisco just before Valentine's Day in a Cupid mask and may also feature in a depressing subplot about marriage going to runs and Billy goes down on Michelle Williams. I don't know. Um, But he would kill Denise Richards, though. (laughs) As well, he should. Um, No, I mean, okay. all joking aside, like I do. Oh, my God. I just got your blue Valentine joke. Very funny. (laughs) I'm glad that you did. I'm sorry. I I thought it took me a second, but I but I I got there and I'm so proud that I did. (laughs) Um. But you know, okay, I'm I'm being silly with those four, but um, let's actually consider for a second what that franchise might have become. Do you think, like, if Clark gets from Black Christmas to Hey, the next one will be set on another holiday? If his Halloween had been successful enough, do you think he would have just continued on bouncing back and forth between Christmas and Halloween, no, or do you I, think I he would have gone to would. another? I think Bob Clark hates horror. I think he's just a very talented filmmaker, so he made an amazing horror movie. I just don't ever see Bob Clark pursuing the franchise. I don't know that he... I can't say that Bob Clark hates horror. Uh, I get the sense from some of the quotes that he's delivered over the years. Maybe he's a guy, though. Like, maybe he's like... Like, pretentious about it. Yeah. In that he just didn't want to be pigeonholed, you know? Because he... that's true. You know, if you look at his career... I'm very sensitive when I hear filmmakers say negative things about my genre. I I mean, he mean about it children shouldn't play with dead things death dream black christmas and then murder by decree which is literally about jack the ripper like this is a man who He's he, he may not have wanted to have gotten pigeonholed and maybe he just wanted a, to do other uh, stuff and stretch a christmas like, story is scary as hell <laughs> it, you know i thought he was going to shoot his eye out at some point i thought we were going to see it but uh the tongue's scary <laughs> You know the I gotta say the 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 peephole in Porky's is a little a little stalkery. That's something. No, there's nothing Billy scarier than Porky's. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, you're so right. Actually, the peephole in Porky's versus the the peeping Tom element of of Black Christmas. It's actually quite similar. You know, it's funny. I never would have considered it before. But do you think Morgan and Wong were referencing another Bob Clark movie when they remade Black Christmas with Porky's? Do you like think the they? Eye? Do you think they even knew? Do you think they even know knew what they were doing in that moment? Because it's possible. Because it's very similar. You know, watching the movie, I can't imagine they knew much. Um, so. No, 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 no. Rat. It's just like rats eating their brains. Rats. Rats on the brain. No, I. Um, um, but I wonder. Okay, do you think he would have? Uh, he would have continued down the holiday train then, and if so, what would have been the next one he would have gone after? Do you think? Mm, like maybe it wouldn't have been a holiday maybe it would have been black summer and it would have been like a surf like a surf musical 
fifties surf music. That's my that's my official answer. I think Black Valentine is more likely <laughs> than that. Yeah, and that's that sounds good too. No, I, uh, I I mean you know having it was meant to be a dumb gag, but now that I say it out loud, I would watch a movie called Black Valentine. Yeah, it sounds dangerous but sexy. There's there's <laughs> leather involved somewhere in there. I don't oh, know yeah. how. Leather, try patent latex. Why not both? Why not both? <laughs> you know, maybe Clark did leave horror behind entirely after Murder by Decree, which admittedly wasn't even a horror movie with capital H. So, you know, if the mm-hmm. franchise were to have continued, let's say he even went as far as making Bob Clark's Halloween, right? Mm-hmm. Then maybe he wouldn't have done any more after that. But do you think the franchise, say his Halloween had been at least as successful as Black Christmas? Maybe that franchise, the Billy franchise, would have continued on without him. What do you think? I would have liked to see how that could have gone. I, I it just it's hard to say now that we are in the future because we saw how the whole slasher phase turned out and it became a bit of like cult of personality. And I think Billy does that, but like it, it does it in a, in like a less fun, more realistic way with, with the horror of, of his like mental health. So I don't know. I, I don't know. I'd be very interested to see how, how it all would have turned out. I do know that there are, a fan film that came out this year is all about like the lineage of Billy really? and the lineage of Jess. Yes. So have you heard about it's me, Billy, the, the big fan film sequel to black Christmas that came out this year. Oh, tell me, tell me, tell me. So it's me. Billy is like an unofficial fan film by filmmakers, Dave McRae and Bruce Dale. And it features a character. That's the granddaughter of Jess, a.k.a. Olivia Hussey. And she's very aware of her grandmother's, uh, what her grandmother has survived. So wait a second. So, Can I ask yeah. you a question then? Please, gosh. Does that mean that Jess did not have that abortion? I, oh, I mean, maybe it does. Or maybe this was like a kid that she had down the line. But it's definitely, I, I, I've, I've only seen the trailer for the film. I haven't seen the whole thing. So I'd be very interested to know if she did or if she didn't. Honestly, I hope she did because I just, I'm rooting for her to have her own agency. Yeah. You know that if there was going to be a sequel ever involving Jess, that that unborn child would be a major plot point. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it almost feels a little bit unresolved by the end of Black Christmas 1974. Do you feel like she would almost, and, and this is icky, but I'm just saying like considering where we leave her at the end of that movie. Oh my God. Do you think she would have felt in some weird way more than she ever would have before more than she would have with Peter actually, you know, sort of trying to browbeating her, but given that she killed Peter, do you think she would have felt obligated to go and have the child at that point? It would be like one or the other. It would have been absolutely like, she probably would have had to like uh, even more reason or more incentive to, to not keep the kid. Also, because she probably believes that he's the murderer. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say that it probably was just more incentive for her to continue on her choice. Okay. Because I think she's leaving that situation believing that her boyfriend's, like, murderous. And then that's going to leave 
that's good. That's going to give you baggage with your unborn child for sure. Josh, before we move forward, I just want to ask you, this is something that we have not discussed at this point, uh-huh. but given that we talked about the potential of Bob Clark's Halloween and whatnot, now we're talking about Jess having grandkids and whatnot. Uh-huh. I got to ask, what do you think happens in the next five minutes after black so, Christmas ends? This is so important. This is, this is very important. I want, I really want to say that Jess survives, but the way that they frame that ending where you just, you see, you see Lynn Griffin, I think in the attic for like five minutes as those, as those credits roll. I don't think Jess lives. I mean, I think we, I think Jess dies. I'm with you. Like I want Jess to survive so badly, but my question is, she doesn't. How? She doesn't. And this is a mean she? movie, and this is a movie that I think would have the balls to to do something real rude. Hundred percent, like kill Jess. And I think. Do you think that that's what Bob Clark? Do you think Bob Clark is ending his movie on a question mark or an exclamation point when it comes to Jess? I think he's allowing his audience to make up their own mind. So, so if they want to have some form of comfort, they can but they're lying to themselves because I think ultimately the real truth is that that's not a happy ending. My that God. is a bad, bad, bad ending. Josh, something just occurred to me. Oh my God. I'm scared. I'm scared. So if he kills Jess, Jess is dead. And Halloween is all about Billy breaking out of the asylum and going to a town and haunting a babysitter because Jess wouldn't uh-huh. have been a babysitter, right? Mm-hmm. John's, She'd been a little too old. John Saxon is totally the Sam Loomis character. in the Oh, movie. Oh, see, he, he he's the he's angry he, because he lost the girl that he might have saved because of his own fuck up. And then he would have felt compelled to be the guy who brings down Billy when he escapes. John Saxon oh would have been the Dr. Loomis figure. What do they call it in behind the mask? What do they call that? archetype? He, he would have been from from Moby Dick. He would have been the Ahab. The Ahab. He's total Ahab. Because you don't really get an Ahab in the first um, Nightmare on Elm Street either. So he's not really that there. But yeah, he's the Ahab of that franchise for sure. I want to see that sequel so badly now just because of that. Oh, Johnny. Um, interesting. I'm kind of I'm kind of obsessed with, with, with all of these possibilities. All of these potential timelines, as one would say. Well, that's the thing. When we talk about development hell, it's just not about the things that were developed and not made. But it's also all of the possibilities. All of the might have beens. And, and speaking of... Oh, yes. I'm, I'm, please finish your thought. No, no, no. That's that's all, really. Because, I mean, it's all about the... The to me the 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 what ifs and especially mm-hmm. if there's the tease and Bob Clark can't just tell a story about how he might have made Halloween before John Carpenter and not expect all of us to run wild with those possibilities. Speaking of <laughs> uh, you know untapped possibilities, I'm not going to give you much information about it, but there is a very easy to find sort of fanfic outline for potential Black Christmas 2, a follow-up to the 2006 remake online, which is hysterical and has all of this, like, fantasy casting in it, too, including um, oh, Emily from Poodle Lawyers. I'm going to cut this out because I forget her name. Um, and I suggest I suggest uh, looking it up. Google Black Christmas 2 if you want to 
get a sense of what people were thinking of for a follow-up for that remake. Oh my God. It's and with, pretty hilarious. with the Weinsteins too, you know, like the poster would have been black Xmas too, but it would have mm-hmm. been like X dash M a, and then like a, a, a spun around S that kind of looks like a two. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, or what if the two on the poster? So it's like a string of Christmas lights and all the Christmas lights have sort of um, died except for two that are right next to each other and they're blinking. Oh, I two. like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> thank you thank you thank you thank you uh, i'm gonna have to get a pitch deck together for this one if you could give a sequel a direct sequel to either of the remakes which one would you pick uh to either of the remakes Ooh. yeah uh, i would I... also say including the original but then you're obviously just gonna pick the original so why don't i cut it down to the remake? you know i'm gonna go ahead and pick the original for two seconds and just say <laughs> i would totally totally be down for the 2018 style reboot with like an aged Olivia Hussey being cool. miserable for 40 years and fucking up her family waiting for Billy to return one day. Like, is she not the house mother? Are we not going to do that to her? <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I would be fine with that too, but out of the other two, you know, I got to say this, I would not elect to do a follow-up to any of them. I would just keep the black Christmas train rolling the way it is and do yes. another movie with female leads in a sorority house in a Christmas setting with, you know, a, a, a male antagonist or villain and mm-hmm. just tell a completely different story with a different perspective, you know, and I would be, you know, and if it continues down that route, which I think it should, because, you know, even the first two movies, you had male filmmakers at the helm, but it was still very much like female led stories you know so Mm -hmm. i want to see more black christmases with female filmmakers you know i I want to see that perspective in that setting and i want to see more stories in that world under that banner it'd be cool if someone like blumhouse did a tv show where like some december they do like you know five hour long tv movies all sort of in that universe you know if we can just crack how to spell christmases uh, then I think Christmas I exactly. Uh, then I think they're they're on to something. So I am obsessed with all things Black Christmas, and honestly, this conversation just leaves me wanting desperately to revisit 2019 because I think that's what's next for me. Excellent. I, I think me too. I'm I'm gonna rewatch the first two, and then uh, yeah, it's gonna culminate with that 2019 again. Because, but you know what? We need to start leading the charge, Josh. You and I on mm-hmm. Twitter. Mm-hmm. We need to start leaning hard on Blumhouse, and we need to find out where the harder cut of that movie is, and where the 4K UHD super duper special edition from like Scream Factory or Vinegar Syndrome is. Release the tackle cut. I mean, release it. Am I saying her name wrong? Probably. I'm really sorry, Sophia. No, it's cool. It's, uh, but no, I, uh, yes, yes. I think we need that. I, okay. Well, we're going to have to start our letter writing campaign the second we hit. Can't we, the second we hang up today. So I think we have work ahead of us. We do. We do. We're going to, that's going to be our Christmas gift to all horror fans out there is that by the 25th of this month, we are going to get an announcement. We are going to pull an announcement out of Jason oh, yeah. Blum concerning. The oh, hard yeah. oh, R-rated yeah. cut of Black Christmas 2019. He's he's just waiting to hear from us. He is just waiting to hear from us. And by the end of the month, by the end of the month, we're gonna have four full episodes of Christmas's Cancel out into the ether, which I'm super excited about. I was gonna ask, do you think we should give like a tease right now about what next week is gonna be? But then I thought, no, I think it should be a secret. I it think in its own way, that's a tease. Oh my god. We're we're just 
We're just full of teases today. <laughs> um, Jinx, even though you are official co-host for this miniseries, can you still tell us where you can be found on the internet if you want it to be found? Yes, find me on Twitter. I am at Jinx1981. That's at J-I-N-X-1981. You can also find me on Instagram. Uh, it's a ridiculous amount of numbers. I know I apologize in advance. It's at Jinx740941. <laughs> I apologize. That's at jinx Seven four zero nine four one. You can find me online at Bloody Disgusting. Find my writing there. You can also find my podcast at ScreamAddicts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. So uh, whether it be iTunes or Stitcher or honestly, whatever you kids listen to your podcasts on these days, it's going to be there. I love to hear that, Jinx. And I promise that at the end of four weeks, we'll let you out of the basement. But for now, we're going to have to deliver you the sandwiches through the slot in the door. Yeah. Okay. So I've had enough sandwiches. Uh, These chains are starting to chafe. I would like some milk Mm. and some skin. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back with another episode of Development Hell. Thank you for listening to the Dread Podcast Network.